Section 54 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 15, Philip and Mary, by James Bass Mullinger, Part 1. The contention of religious parties amid which the reign of Mary commenced, the legacy of the preceding reign, still further weakened the royal authority at home, while it materially lowered England in the estimation of the great powers abroad. The protector, Somerset, had failed to accomplish the design to which he had devoted his best energies, that of union with Scotland whereby the united kingdom should assert its position as the leading protestant state in europe the innate cruelty of northumberland's nature as seen in the merciless malignity with which he brought his rival to the scaffold and carried out the reversal of his policy had caused him to be regarded with aversion by the great majority of his countrymen while the humiliating circumstances under which peace had been concluded both with france and with scotland had revealed alike the financial and the moral weakness of the nation not only had the rulers of the country themselves ceased to be actuated by a statesmanlike and definite foreign policy but the leading powers on the continent had gradually come to regard england from a different point of view the revenue of the english crown was but a fraction of that which henry the second of france or charles the fifth could raise and by degrees the country whose king a generation before had hurled defiance at rome and treated on equal terms with spain and france had come to be looked upon by these latter powers as one whose government and people were alike fickle and untrustworthy and whose policy vacillated and rulers changed so often as to render its alliance a matter scarcely deserving serious diplomatic effort its annexation far from impracticable but whether that annexation would have to be effected by diplomacy or by force by a matrimonial alliance or by actual conquest was still uncertain such however was the alternative that chiefly engaged the thoughts of the representatives of the great continental powers during the reign of mary when we turn to consider the instruments who served their diplomacy in england it must be admitted that the envoys of both french and spain were well fitted to represent their respective sovereigns the bad faith and cynical inconsistency of henry the second reappeared in the mischievous intrigues and shameless mendacity of antoine de noailles the astute and wary policy of the emperor was not inadequately reproduced by the energetic and adroit although sometimes too impetuous simon renard on the venetian envoys giacomo soranzo and giovanni michiel it devolved carefully to observe rather than to seek to guide events and the latter, although designated an imperialist by Denois, appears to have preserved a studiously impartial attitude, while the accuracy of his information was such that the French ambassador 
did not scruple to avail himself of the dishonesty of Michiel's secretary, Antonio Mazza, to purchase clandestinely much of the intelligence transmitted to the Doge of Venice by his envoy. In the selection of her representatives at the foregoing courts, Mary, on the other hand, does not appear to have been unduly biased by personal predilections. Thurlby, Bishop of Norwich, afterwards stood high in her favor, but when in April 1553 he was for the second time accredited ambassador to the emperor, it was under the auspices of Northumberland. Expediency alone can have suggested that Nicholas Wotton and Peter Vans, both of whom had taken an active part in the proceedings connected with the divorce of Catherine of Aragon, should be retained at their posts, the one in Paris, the other in Venice. Wotton's loyalty to his new sovereign, his ability and courage were alike unquestionable, and when, in 1555-7, to Mary's throne was threatened by the machinations of the English exiles, it was to his vigilance and dexterity that the English government was mainly indebted for its earliest information of the conspirators' intentions. At Venice, Peter Van discharged his duties as ambassador with commendable discretion and assiduity, although at one critical juncture he did not escape the reproach of excessive caution. But as a native of Lucca, and one who had been collector of the papal taxes in England, who had filled the post of Latin secretary to Wolsey, King Henry and King Edward in succession, and who had been employed on more than one important diplomatic mission, he offered a combination of qualifications which it would have been difficult to match. Although he was nearly sixty years of age, his energies showed no decline, and Mary herself could suggest no one more fit to be her representative at the Venetian court. The 6th of July, the day of Edward's death, had not passed away before the council were apprised of the event, but it was decided that the fact should be kept strictly secret until the necessary measures had been taken for securing the succession of the Lady Jane Grey. In pursuance of this decision, Howard, the Lord Admiral, the Marquis of Westminster, the Lord Treasurer, and the Earl of Shrewsbury, forthwith placed a strong garrison in the tower, while the civic authorities were summoned to appear, through their representatives, before the council at Greenwich. The Lord Mayor, together with, quote, six aldermen, as many merchants of the staple, and as many merchant adventurers, end quote, accordingly repaired thither, when the late monarch's decease was made known to them, and the letters patent, whereby he had devised the succession to the House of Suffolk, were laid before them. These they were called upon to sign, and also to take an oath of allegiance to Queen Jane. They were, however, charged to divulge nothing but quietly to take whatever measures they might deem requisite for the preservation of order in the city, and to procure the acquiescence of the citizens in the succession of their new sovereign. And, at three o'clock in the afternoon of Monday the 10th, Jane was conveyed by water to the tower, where she was formally received as queen. 
at five o'clock public proclamation was made both of edward's death and of the fact that by his decree quote, the lady jane and her heirs male end quote, were to be his recognized successors printed copies of the document which the late king had executed were at the same time circulated among the people in order to make clear the grounds on which the claim of the new queen rested in the meantime two days before her brother's death mary apprised of the hopeless nature of his illness had effected her escape by night from hunsdon to her palace at kenninghall an ancient structure formerly belonging to the dukes of norfolk which had been bestowed on her by henry on the attainder of the actual duke the princess had formerly been accustomed to hold her court there but the buildings were ill adapted for defence and on the eleventh she quitted kenninghall for framlingham in suffolk framlingham another of the seats of the howards was situated in the district where northumberland's ruthless suppression of the rebellion of fifteen forty nine was still fresh in the memories of the population and the strength and position of the castle surmounted by lofty towers and on the margin of a wide expanse of water made it an excellent rallying point for mary's supporters moreover being distant but a few miles from the coast it offered facilities for escape to the continent should such a necessity arise within less than forty-eight hours it had become known to northumberland in london that the earl of bath sir thomas horton sir john mordaunt sir william drury sir henry bedingfield formerly the custodian of mary's mother at kimbolton along with other noblemen and gentlemen some of them at the head of a considerable body of retainers were gathering at framingham the council on assembling at the tower on the twelfth had already decided that it was expedient for the security of the realm that mary should forthwith be brought to london and suffolk was in the first instance designated for the task of giving effect to their decision jane however overcome by a sense of responsibility and by nervous apprehension entreated that her father might be permitted quote, to tarry at home to keep her company end quote and northumberland was accordingly called upon to proceed on the perilous errand the terror which his name was likely to inspire and his reputation as quote, the best man of war in the realm end quote, might be looked upon as justifying his selection but on the other hand it was also notorious that throughout the eastern counties his name was held in execration as that of the man who had brought somerset to the scaffold and the rumour was already spreading widely that he had by foul play precipitated the death of the young king the wishes of the council were however too strongly urged for him to be able to decline the errand and the following day was devoted to making ready for the expedition and to the arming of a sufficient retinue when the lords of the council assembled at dinner northumberland availed himself of the opportunity to deliver an harangue in which he adverted to the perils awaiting him and his followers and commended the families of the latter 
to the care of his audience he further reminded those who listened that to quote the original ground on which their policy rested the preferment of god's word and the fear of papistry's re-entrance there was now added the new oath of allegiance which bound them to support the queen's cause and he adjured them to be faithful to their vow on friday july fourteen he set out with his forces through the streets of london but the absence of all sympathy on the part of the populace either with him or his errand was only too apparent he himself as he passed along shoreditch was heard to exclaim quote, the people press to see us but not one saith god speed ye End quote. under the belief that mary's change of residence to framlingham was simply designed to facilitate her escape to flanders he had some days before given orders that ships carrying picked crews to the number of two thousand men should be stationed off the norfolk coast to intercept her passage the spirits of mary's supporters at this crisis were far from high nor was charles at brussels by any means sanguine in his niece's cause his instructions transmitted on june twenty three to his ambassadors extraordinary to the english court while they were still at calais were drawn up in contemplation of the crisis which seemed likely to arise on edward's death which was even then regarded as imminent on their arrival in london they were forthwith to obtain if possible an interview with the young king and precise directions were given with respect to their attitude towards northumberland and the council in the event of edward's death mary's best policy charles considered would be her betrothal to one of her own countrymen the machinations of france would thus be effectually counteracted the mistrust of northumberland and his party would be disarmed it would be well also to come as soon as might be to a general understanding with the council a result which the imperial adviser considered might be attained by mary's undertaking to introduce no innovations either in the administration of civil affairs or in religion and at the same time concluding a kind of amnesty with those actually in office quote, patiently waiting until god should vouchsafe the opportunity of restoring everything by peaceful means end quote. his envoys were also enjoined to give his niece all possible assistance and advice in connection with any obligations she might enter into with the council and any pledges she might give edward's death followed within a week by that of maurice of saxony from a wound received in the battle of severshausen materially modified the aspect of affairs on the continent charles was now able to concentrate his efforts on the conflict with france while in england the remarkable change in mary's prospects constrained both catholic and protestant writers to recognize in results so rapidly attained an express intervention of providence the first report transmitted to charles by his ambassadors after their arrival in london conveyed the tidings of edward's death and of northumberland's occupation of the tower as champion of the cause of the lady jane grey it further stated 
that mary after taking counsel with her confidants had been proclaimed queen at framlingham a course adopted under the belief that large numbers would thus be encouraged openly to declare themselves in her favor in the opinion of reynard himself however she was committing herself to a line of action which considering the resources at northumberland's command the support which he was regularly receiving from france and the actual complications in continental affairs must be pronounced hopeless charles in his reply july eleventh fifteen fifty three advised his envoys to content themselves for the present with watching the situation but he suggested that if northumberland persisted in his opposition to mary's claims it might be well to endeavor to persuade those english peers who favored the catholic cause to make such a demonstration as might serve to render the duke more amenable to reason reynard's misgivings were however soon modified by further and more accurate intelligence and in a letter to prince philip he was able to report that paget had resumed his seat in the council in whose policy a complete change had taken place then came news that on july nineteen while the rebel leaders were marching from cambridge to attack the castle at framlingham mary had been proclaimed on tower hill by suffolk himself and again at paul's cross and that he had at the same time given orders that the insignia of royalty should be removed from his daughter's chambers the diarist at his post in the tower and the imperial ambassadors in the city concur in describing the demonstrations which followed as characterized by remarkable enthusiasm the bonfires and roaring cannon the pealing bells and sonorous long disused organs the profuse largesses all offering a marked contrast to the apathy and silence with which the proclamation of jane had been received the council now sent off official information of the event to mary who was at the same time advised not to disarm her forces until northumberland's submission or defeat was beyond doubt three days later reynard was able to report that the proclamation had everywhere been so favorably received that mary might now be regarded as secure in her position quote, as true and hereditary queen of england without difficulty doubt or impediment end quote. while events were progressing thus rapidly in london northumberland accompanied by the marquis of northampton and lord grey had arrived on the evening of saturday july fifteen at cambridge here he rested for the sunday and as both lord high steward and chancellor of the university was hospitably entertained by the academic authorities on the monday he set out for bury st edmunds expecting to be joined at newmarket by the reinforcements from the capital these however failed to appear while defections from his own ranks became numerous and he now learned that the crews of the ships sent to intercept mary's passage had on arriving at yarmouth declared for her and their captains had followed their example on the eighteenth accordingly northumberland set out on his return from bury to cambridge where at five o'clock on the evening of the twentieth 
the news having arrived that mary had been proclaimed in london he himself also proclaimed her in the market-place and as the tears ran down his face ejaculated that he knew her to be a merciful woman an hour later he received an order from the council it was signed by cranmer goodrich bishop of ely and lord chancellor the marquis of winchester the duke of suffolk and the earls of pembroke bedford and shrewsbury and directed him forthwith to disarm and disband his army but not himself to return to london until the royal pleasure was known if he would thus quote, shew himself like a good quiet subject the missive went on to say we will then continue as we have begun as humble suitors to our sovereign lady the queen's highness for him and his and for ourselves the cambridge authorities now hastened to send congratulatory letters to framlingham while gardiner the former chancellor of the university was re-elected to that office in the letter announcing his re-election he was urged to restore to the schools their former freedom and quote, to annul the lawless laws which held their consciences in bondage end quote. the constable de montmorency writing july twenty four to lord howard the governor of calais promised that he would himself conduct all the forces at his disposal to protect that town should the emperor taking advantage of the crisis seek to occupy it but five days later noailles was able to report to the duke of orleans that troops cavalry and foot soldiers had rallied to mary's support to the number of between thirty five thousand and forty thousand men all inspired with unprecedented enthusiasm and asking for no pay but voluntarily contributing money plate and rings from their own slender resources at framlingham there were now to be seen besides mary's avowed supporters numerous nobles and gentlemen confessing their disloyalty and asking for pardon in most cases these petitions received a favorable response cecil who could plead that he had signed the instrument of succession under compulsion was restored to favor although not to office but the dudleys both robert and ambrose and about a hundred other leading commoners among whom was sir thomas wyatt remained for a time under arrest on july twenty seven the two lord chief justices sir roger cholmley and sir edward montague were committed to the tower where on the following day they were joined by the duke of suffolk and sir john cheek and before the end of the month by northumberland and his duchess with their eldest son the earl of warwick guildford dudley and the lady jane on july twenty nine henry at compiegne signed the credentials of the sieur antoine de noix as ambassador to mary and two days later it was intimated to nicholas wotton pickering and chaloner that the queen desired to retain them in their posts as her representatives at the french court early in august cardinal pole in his monastic retirement at maguzzano on the lago de garda received from julius the third his appointment as papal legate to england with instructions to visit both the imperial and the french court on his journey thither 
for the present mary determined to be guided mainly by the advice of her cousin the emperor a decision the wisdom of which was clearly attested by subsequent events as well as by the letters numerous and lengthy which charles addressed to his envoys at her court in connection with each important question as it arose from the first he advised that the queen should scrupulously avoid appearing to set herself in opposition to the prejudices and feelings of her people and should above all things endeavour to appear un bon anglaise it was from france alone he considered that she had reason to apprehend much danger although scotland as subservient to french policy also required to be carefully watched the french envoys had just presented their credentials to courtenay and as a well-known sympathizer with the italian reformers he was regarded by the emperor with especial mistrust it was rumored that the young nobleman was making advances to elizabeth such an alliance charles pointed out was fraught with danger and must if possible be prevented the princess's attitude in relation to the new doctrines also required to be carefully observed as for the rebels let exemplary punishment be inflicted on the leaders and the rest be treated with clemency the lady jane doubtless deserved death but it might be well for the present simply to keep her in close custody where she would be unable to hold communication with traitors finally mary was advised to get the finances in good order so as to have funds ready for any emergency and more especially to exercise a vigilant control over the expenditure of the secret service money counsel of a very different nature came from italy where cardinal pole's fervid enthusiasm as a would-be reformer of religious discipline in england was prudently held in check alike by emperor and pope his letters at this period while conceived in a spirit of unselfish devotion to the interests of catholicism attest the unpractical character of the writer and the influences of the monastic seclusion in which he had lately sought refuge early in august gianfrancesco comendoni the papal chamberlain and penning one of pole's confidants were sent expressly the one from brussels the other from rome in order more accurately to gauge both the royal intentions and popular feeling it was only after considerable delay that they succeeded in gaining admission to mary's presence when her own language held out so little hope of her being able at once to adopt a decisive policy that comendone forthwith set out on his return journey Henning, however, remained until the coronation, and was then sent back to Pole with a letter from the Queen. In a letter to the Queen, dated August 13, the Cardinal had already enunciated his views of Mary's position and responsibilities. Heresy was the source of all evil. Unbridled passion had led her father first to divorce himself from his wedded wife, and next to separate from his mother the church and to disobey her spiritual head mary had already reaped a reward for her loyalty to the true faith in her astonishing triumph over her rebel subjects 
if ever the interposition of divine providence in human affairs had been clearly apparent it was in the recent crisis in england he hopes that the character of her rule will make manifest her consciousness of this fact and he is especially anxious to be informed as to her real sentiments when once admitted to her presence he relies on being able to convince her that her crown and the welfare of the nation alike depend on obedience to the church in her reply mary expressed her heartfelt grief at being as yet unable to disclose her secret wishes but intimated that as soon as it was in her power she hoped to carry them into effective execution pole however could see no advantage in delay holding that it was especially desirable that he should himself be near at hand quote, to assist the queen's good intentions demurring at the same time to the proposal that the pope should forthwith quote, exempt england from every interdict and censure on the ground that so momentous a decision would more fitly be considered by himself on his arrival all that julius the third and the emperor could do was to contrive that a counsellor of so much distinction and of so small discretion should be kept back as long as possible from the arena where his influence was likely to prove most disastrous by the pontiff pole was designated legatus pro pace and instructed to visit on his journey to england both the imperial and the french court with the view of bringing about if possible an understanding between charles and henry by the emperor the audience which the cardinal asked for at brussels was deferred under various pretexts until january fifteen fifty four as early however as october too pole had arrived at trent where we find him writing to courtenay and extolling the negative virtues which had adorned his captivity in the tower little surmising on what a career his cousin had already embarked to the ruin alike of his health and his fortunes during these critical days elizabeth had remained in seclusion at hatfield preserving an attitude of studied neutrality but on july twenty nine she entered london with a large train of followers and took up her residence at somerset house five days later the queen made her triumphal entry into the city in the evening and was joined at aldgate by her sister the two riding side by side through the streets amid the acclamations of the populace mary following the usual practice of royalty prior to coronation now proceeded to occupy the state apartments in the tower at the great gate the duke of norfolk bishop gardiner the duchess of somerset and the youthful courtenay awaited her arrival all in a kneeling posture and were by her command formally restored to liberty jane on the other hand found herself a prisoner and was consigned to the custody of the new governor sir john bridges gardiner was sworn a member of the privy council and on august twenty three appointed lord high chancellor on the eighth of the same month the funeral service for the late king was held in westminster abbey being conducted by cranmer and according to the protestant ritual 
mary however commanded that a requiem mass should also be celebrated in the tower which she strongly pressed elizabeth to attend the princess did not comply but by her regular attendance at court gave evidence of her desire to conciliate her sister as far as possible and six weeks later was to be seen hearing mass in her company her compliance however as noir himself admits was generally regarded as dictated by fear rather than principle it soon however became evident that the recognition of the legate and the contemplated resumption of relations with the roman see were measures which would be attended with far greater difficulties than the restoration of the ancient worship even gardiner whose general sympathy with such designs there can be no reason for doubting felt himself bound like the emperor to counsel the greatest caution and deliberation the nobles and country gentry enriched by those monastic and church lands which they would be called upon to restore the bishops whose deposition was regarded as imminent alike represented vested interests which could hardly be assailed without danger in a proclamation issued august eighteen mary announced accordingly her intention of deferring various questions of policy until parliament summoned to assemble on october five could be consulted but in the meantime certain measures which did not appear to admit of being thus postponed were carried into effect of some sixty rebels denounced as traitors seven were convicted of high treason but of these three only northumberland sir john gates and sir thomas palmer actually suffered the extreme penalty gardiner himself is said to have interceded on behalf of the duke who buoyed up by the hope that the royal clemency would be extended to him on the scaffold itself there acknowledged the justice of his sentence and made a complete renunciation of protestantism even going so far as to attribute the intestine strife and the miseries which for so many years had troubled alike england and germany to the defection of those realms from the true faith the roman ritual was not as yet formally restored as obligatory on all loyal subjects but in her private chapel mary heard mass the protestant bishops were deposed and an injunction was issued that none of the clergy should preach without the royal license while any member of that body was to be liable to suspension if his conduct proved unsatisfactory gardiner bonner heath and day were reinstated in their respective sees of winchester london worcester and chichester the see of durham which northumberland had suppressed appropriating its ample revenues to his own use was restored and cuthbert tunstall installed as bishop on august twenty nine gardiner received instructions himself to select and appoint capable preachers who were to be sent to discharge their functions throughout the country not a few of the more eminent preachers among the reformers foreseeing the storm had already fled to the continent but a certain number still remained such as latimer and john bradford openly to call in question 
the prerogatives which the queen still arrogated to herself as head of the church foremost however among those who refused to flee was archbishop cranmer who at his palace in lambeth confronted the reactionary tendencies around him with an intrepidity which marked him out for general observation already obnoxious owing to his complicity in the diversion of the succession to the crown he was by his open denunciation of the restoration of the mass which he declared to involve many horrible blasphemies exposed to the charge of open resistance to the royal authority on september eighth he was summoned before the council to answer for the publication of the declaration in which he had given expression to his views his defence if such it could be termed was rightly regarded as evasive he pleaded that scory the deprived bishop of chichester had published the declaration without his formal authorization though he admitted that it had been his intention to give it he was accordingly committed to the tower where ridley who had publicly proclaimed the illegitimacy of both mary and elizabeth had already been a prisoner for two months latimer's committal appears to have taken place about the same time and early in october cranmer was followed by his brother primate archbishop holgate the latter was now more than seventy years of age and chiefly obnoxious on account of the persistent energy with which he assailed all that reflected the roman ritual and ornamentation in the churches End of section 54 Recording by Linda Johnson